0: Welcome to Talking Flutes Extra. This week we have a pre-recorded chat with the lovely Doctor Melissa Keeling, which I recorded at the NFA last August. But first, and thank you so much for all the emails and feedback via our social media channels on the Talking Flutes Podcast series. I'd like to cover a couple of these now if you wouldn't mind. So close to home. Portia Littleton-Brown, what a name, Portia Littleton-Brown from London has emailed, Hello Jean-Paul, yeah, it's really good you (laughs) you know my name, Um, I'm gradually working my way through the Talking Flutes series and TF Extra podcasts, as you're always asking for ideas for future recordings. Would you mind if I suggest a podcast where you take a piece from the standard flute repertoire and break it down into parts for us to learn more about interpreting and performing the piece? My teacher is great for taking me through music, but I think it would be good to get another view from a performance and understanding perspective. Now that's a very interesting email, Portia, as we've recently received a couple of emails which I have since passed on to Claire of a very similar nature. There are so many flute pieces in the standard flute repertoire, so it will be interesting to see where Claire takes this in the future. However, just to confirm that her Talking Flutes podcast will be including these in the future. Moving on, Emily Foxton from Tampa in Florida asks about social media platforms and what are the best ones for her to use for her flute playing. Well, Emily, it really does depend on your own personal preference. We at TJ Flutes, for example, utilise many of the most popular social media channels, each of which has different levels of success with the posts we put up. For example, our Trevor James Flutes Facebook account as of this morning, I believe 24,800 people who like, in inverted commas, the page. And yet, due to the algorithm used by Facebook, our posts do not always reach as many of our followers as we'd like. And by the way, having talked to quite a few of my friends, this seems to be a common issue with virtually everybody who are active on Facebook. So to give you an example, taking the f- baseline that we have 24.8k followers, Followers or likes on our page on a typical day when we post, we will get around about a hundred likes per posting, and the reach will be only about one thousand to one thousand five hundred, sometimes up to two thousand, which, considering our like number of being twenty four thousand eight hundred is not a very great reach now, if we look at something like Instagram, however, and despite this being owned by Facebook, it seems to be a completely different kettle of fish in that we have 19,000 followers as of this morning, and yet our daily likes for a pic will usually be around 800 to 1,000, and video postings will usually get from 3,000 up to 50,000 views, without any rhyme or reason. Also, the amount of people that usually view on a normal day our postings on Instagram Work out round about nine to ten thousand, so it seems to get more traction on Instagram than it does on Facebook. One video I posted last year had nearly seven hundred and fifty thousand views, and to be honest, I really can't tell you why or how to me, the benefit of Instagram is that there is, in my own humble opinion, a good and supportive flute community on there who interact with each other, offer support and advice, and are always willing to reach out to new Instagram members if they are asked. Also, with the daily post, the IGTV function, as well as the posting option, there are many ways for getting your playing and your personality over to a wider audience. Now, we also use the new app called Vero, that's V-E-R-O, under the name The Flute Channel. And you can find the Vero app in your iTunes store or your app provider. This is an interesting app as it claims that there is no algorithm to distort views and reach. You can upload photographs as long as you like video or even post a website link. This is certainly one to watch and the jury's out as to how good Vero will actually be in taking your music and your performances to a wider audience. So, you know, watch this space. YouTube needs no explanation, to me or to you. Even my mother-in-law, who is 85 years old, can do it. So I won't add anything to this one. Twitter, for me personally, has changed over the years. I am lucky enough, or unlucky enough, depending on the way you look at it, to have the name at Flute. So it is the at sign with just Flute. And I joined just after the media channel was launched many, many years ago. To me, and again, this is just a personal view... Twitter has become more of a platform to have a rant or to throw out a statement to open up a discussion. There still are many lovely Twitter accounts who just put up their daily activity, along with pics and funny videos. However, I'm personally finding Twitter very different now to how it was first set up. So, Emily, apologies. As is usual with me, I haven't given you a short and succinct reply to your question, as I don't believe there is a straightforward answer. So my only advice would be for you to work your favourite social media account. Put as much or as little over you and your playing as you want. And then, most importantly of all, make sure that you have a regular social media detox. Which leads me quite nicely into the subject of social media addiction and how it can affect you which I think I'll probably cover in the next Talking Flutes Extra podcast, as I've just undertaken a complete week's social media detox, which I found really quite difficult to do at the start, but by the end of seven days was shocked at the extra time I seemed to have, along with the brain space and inner peace. But as I said, I'll bore you with this next time. Right, moving over to the lovely Dr Melissa Keeling. Whose talent and musicianship I've loved for years, and who I managed to pinch a few minutes out of her busy schedule at the recent NFA in Orlando. But before we move on to the pre-recorded interview in the hotel coffee shop, let's spend a few minutes listening to her creativity with flute and pedals, with the track entitled "Claire de Lune" by Debussy, arranged Keeling from a new album, Supersonic. And by the way, all tracks on this album were recorded in a single take without overdubbing. So in effect, you're getting a live performance on every track. So for the next three or four minutes, give yourself permission to just close your eyes and listen to Claire de by Melissa Keeling. those of you who listened to the Talking Flutes Extra podcast last week, you will remember that I briefly spoke to a lovely lady called Melissa Keeling. And I mentioned on it that so fascinating is Melissa that I would like to do a dedicated podcast. So Melissa has agreed to stay behind and is joined me on the sofa in the coffee house to talk about flute playing. Hi, Melissa.
1: Hi, John Paul. Thank you very much for talking with me today.
0: Ah, it's my pleasure. How did the story of Melissa Keeling and the flute start?
1: The flute itself? Mm. Well, I always loved music ever since I was really, really young. My mom is a piano player, so I grew up with music in my house. I started flute in the sixth grade... But it wasn't really that serious until I saw Robert Dick perform. He came to my small hometown in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and I happened to go not knowing who he was, and I saw him play for the first time. And from that moment, he played Flames Must Not in Circle Sides, which is a piece that has a lot of circular breathing in it. I had never heard anything like it before, and I remember standing there, 15 years old, with the strongest conviction that I knew I was going to be a flutist, and this was the kind of music that I was going to play even though I had never heard it before. So from that moment, I knew I was going to be a professional flutist, or at least pursue it beyond high school. That
0: is really strange, isn't it, your first experience of a flute to be a contemporary flute player?
1: Right. I was really drawn to just how new and fresh the sounds were that Robert Dick was making. So I had just never, I had just hadn't heard it before. And I felt so drawn to it, it as very magnetic and strong. But
0: where did you start as a flute player? knowing you're drawn to contemporary flute techniques, but having to do all the basics, the Bach, the Mozart, all the studies, how do, you, how do you square it in those days if you're wanting to pull off into another area and then you're being made to do other stuff?
1: Well, I think everything is important. And to just focus on contemporary music at, at an early age, that's not how I did it. Though it was definitely an interest. My first jury piece that I played as a freshman was... A Robert Dick piece but then again I still had all the technique and the scales and the orchestral excerpts and Mozart and Bach sonatas all of that and I think all of that is great and it makes contemporary music stronger to have that foundation that's the foundation that you build on.
0: So the foundation the roots there's no hiding place, is it? you have to have all the scales, all the studies, and all the, the background flute music in place before you can branch off?
1: I don't think it's either-or. It's not either-or. It's building on a tradition. And to build on the tradition, you have to start from the foundation of that tradition, which is, of course, playing the scales, playing the technique and tone development, your rhythm. It's, you have to start from ground one, and there's no shortcuts. There's no cheating but I definitely knew the type of music that I was drawn to the most, and I continued to follow those interests.
0: And you embraced it so much so, you did your PhD on Robert.
1: I did, I was incredibly honored to have the opportunity to study with him, which after seeing him at age 15, and then asking him if I could come study with him, and so grateful that he said yes, I was just shocked and blown away. And I will not do this doctorate unless I get to study with Robert for that to happen was just really amazing for me in my life. And to move from small town in the South to New York City was something that I personally needed as a person and as an artist. That'll really toughen you up to move to New York. That's what I needed.
0: Out of all the people I've met, you are one that could have done that because in your music, you constantly push the edges, you push the boundaries. And when did you start experimenting with pebbles?
1: When I finished my undergraduate degree, I I got a music education degree. So I had planned on teaching elementary school music, which is something that I actually do now. When I finished my undergraduate degree, I had invested so much time into practicing and learning the technique and the foundations, but I felt that I wasn't expressing myself artistically at all. I didn't get that feeling of when I paint a picture of, oh, I created this, and this is an expression of me. This is my voice. Playing other people's music is wonderful, and I love it, but I just, for some reason, wasn't feeling artistically fulfilled. My boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, he's an electric guitar player, and it was May of my senior year of my undergrad, and I was so disenchanted with the flute performing world at that time. Just not having the fun that I was having before. And I came over to his apartment and he had his effects pedals out and he was playing guitar and he was just having a great time. And I was like, this is the joy that I am missing from my own music making. And just as a joke, I said, would it be possible for me to plug into your guitar effects pedals? He said he'd never thought about doing anything like that before, but theoretically it should be possible if you plug a microphone into the effects pedals and play your flute into the mic. So that's literally what we did. A few weeks later, I had my own mic and played on the effects for the first time, and that summer, I started writing and improvising my own music. The moment that I heard the sound coming out of those speakers, it was... I can't explain it. I really can't. It was like I felt a wave of destiny just coming over me, like, this is this is your voice, this is your voice. Though at the time, I really had no idea what to do with it or how to shape it. I had never improvised, I had never tried to write any music.
0: Well, you're not only known for glissando head joint and for really focusing on on that, but you're also now really well known for the looping pedals. But you don't just loop, you layer. You spend a Mm -hmm. lot of time layering do you write the compositions down, or do you largely see where the performance takes you?
1: Some of them are completely written out. Some of them are completely freely improvised, and many of them have like a basic structure or a, like a lead sheet mm-hmm. that I write the loops themselves, but then solo on top freely. So it varies depending on the piece. I do it different ways for different ones.
0: So intro. Now well, that is a probably a podcast in itself, what is improv coming from Melissa? That's a very hard question, I get that. That's
1: huge. To me, improvisation is freedom. To me, it's like flying. It's the closest I can get to the feeling that I imagine having if I were flying. It's that pure artistic expression of self that I was always seeking but just didn't know what that meant musically for me.
0: Do you think it's or do you understand why it can be really scary for somebody to improvise?
1: Definitely because it was for me too it was for me too and I only did it out of necessity because when I found these effects pedals I wanted to play with them but there was very little music written if any that actually dictated here's how you set a delay pedal, here's how you play a loop that's not written out in flute music anywhere, so I had to improvise something in order to, to play with the pedals, which was what I was interested in doing. So it came from a place of necessity, but I definitely understand the, the feeling of fear in approaching improvisation because I'm classically trained. So I started from that foundation too.
0: Do you still get the feeling of vulnerability when you're doing it, or do you feel more secure where you're going to be taken with it.
1: I love the feeling of vulnerability. To me, that's what gives it a very genuine expression. I think having a vulnerability in music is a strong form. And to put that out there, hopefully, someone can connect with that vulnerability on a personal level. And I think that's a beautiful thing. It's not always going to turn out perfectly. Well, what is perfectly anyway? You know. It's not ever going to be exactly what you wanted, probably. But to me, that's not what it's about. It's not about it being perfect. It's about me expressing whatever my thought or my feeling is. And in improvisation, you have that freedom to do whatever you want. And that's what I think is beautiful. Yes, you have to make yourself vulnerable. But to me, that's what music is about.
0: Do you think one of the magics of improvisation is there's never two performances of the same? It is completely unique what you do at that one point.
1: Exactly. That's exactly right. And even if you're playing something like a box sonata, even then there are no two performances that could be exactly alike anyway, just because of human nature. And I think taking a risk is, allows you to get to a place where you can do something new, or you can discover something about yourself. Spontaneity. It's brings people together. And be able to use all these tools that I've developed over my classical training and to do a remix of all these techniques and scales in my own way, to me that's what making art is.
0: Now risk-taking, I do like those two words, risk-taking, because as musicians or as flute players, it's very scary because it's quite easy to stay in your comfort zone. Mm -hmm but really then you just mold into this jelly of music and you don't Mm. tend to stand out. Mm. How important is it that each individual musician should not only understand themselves as a musician, but know where their limits are and then begin to push it?
1: Mm. That's a journey of self-discovery that I think everyone should explore and go on.
0: For example, you've done it. You obviously knew where you were going, but you've actually branched off and you continue to push boundaries. You continue to, I want not say skirt the danger because it's not, but you are you're going against the grain. Mm-hmm. And it's being embraced, but slowly by the establishment. But you've got, obviously you've got to know yourself and your limits quite early. And can you imagine people listening to this, if they were only to be more ambitious, And not worry about their playing, that somebody else like you could come along and do something different.
1: I'm not trying to break down the boundaries. I'm not trying to burn down the foundation. I'm not. That's not my goal. What I'm trying to do is play the music that I wanted to hear. This is when I envision what kind of flute music I want to hear. To me, this is what I want to listen to when I hear a flute player.
0: I only mean breaking down barriers with you in that. If you come to the NFA 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was largely Baroque, classical, uh, mm-hmm. a sniffing of contemporary in.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know the days when Robert Dick was Robert Dick and, oh, yes, mm-hmm. Robert does what Robert does. Mm-hmm. You've come along, and you not only have you looping pedals in, you know, you've played, unashamedly played, guitar pieces
2: mm-hmm. at the NFA. Right.
0: So you've broken barriers, you've sort of Put everything in the tumble dryer Mm -hmm. of flute music and it's, along with uh, composers such as Ian Clark and Greg Bertillo beatboxing, all of a sudden there's this rich new style of playing that people should embrace, but then take those styles and see what else Mm -hmm. they can make from that.
1: I don't think we live in a vacuum or in a world where there's only flute music. I listen to lots of different music and I don't think there's anything wrong with listening to rock music. Or listening to pop music or listening to hip-hop. I enjoy those genres and I listen to them as part of my life maybe as much as flute music and unconsciously those styles are inside my thoughts process as well as the flute music so there's, there's the contemporary avant-garde side to it too but this is the 21st century this is 2018 Robert Dick wrote the other flute it was almost 50 years ago it was a, lo- a long time ago. So, a long time has passed. And I think that we're in an age now where genres are mixing. Mm-hmm. You see that with Taylor Swift, yeah. you know? Absolutely. You see that all over the place. And increasingly, artists mm-hmm. in the pop world, not just the flute world, are combining multiple genres. And it seems like even the most successful ones could fit into two or three at least. And to just focus on the flute music side, I can't forget about all the rock music that I love. I can't forget that I listen to all that. It just naturally happens. And I think we're in a time where there's so many flutists out there, so many really amazing flutists out there, that there's space for us all to do the specialty that we enjoy, that speaks to us, that's our strengths. Uh, I don't think that we're all required anymore to be experts in Mozart and Bach and Reineke and all of these standards, which are wonderful, but I think we're in a time now where we can all do our own thing. And I am just so glad that that kind of thing is being embraced more and more as we go along. And it's amazing to see how many different flutists are doing different things out there. And not just that, but the flute itself is such an incredible instrument that it can do all these different things. It's capable of so many sounds and genres, melodies and harmonies, and there's still so much more to explore there. And It's very exciting.
0: And talking about exciting, in front of me, Melissa, I have a new album. Can you describe the album cover for our listeners?
1: The album cover is actually a large splatter painting that my husband and I did together for Valentine's Day one year. He loves to paint, and so do I. And so one year for Valentine's Day, I brought home a canvas and a bunch of paint, and I said, for Valentine's Day, we're going to make this together. And so we literally stood in our living room and threw its blue and green shades mixed all together, splatter paint, Jackson Pollock style. I was about to say, it's
0: very Jackson Pollock, isn't it?
1: Supersonic, that's the name of this album. This is my second album, and the first album that I wrote in 2010 was called Sonic. So this is the sequel, so to speak. Now the word Sonic is uh, just a, a word that I came up with to describe my electric flute projects, which have evolved immensely over the years and have changed the instrumentation and the style and everything that I'm doing with it. But Sonic, I got the word from the scientific definition of Sonic, which means sound. I just altered the spelling a little bit to make it a little more eye-catching, unique. There's a lot of different pieces on here. It opens up with my cover of Van Halen's Eruption, which is one of my favorite (laughs) solo guitar pieces of all time. and So that's very rock and roll inspired. It's basically a straight up transcription of Eruption and Van Halen's virtuosity and the tapping technique that he developed. I tried to adapt that to the flute, which I hope that you enjoy I don't want to give away how that piece ends there, but Eruption, that's one of my personal favorites. Uh, I do a cover of Debussy's Clair de Lune, Mm -hmm. which I talked about my mom being a piano player, and in my family, Clair de Lune is my mom's signature piano piece, and it was also my grandmother's signature piano piece as well. When I started playing the flute, I was so sad that I couldn't take in the legacy of these amazing female musicians in my family that had taken on Claire de Lune as their own. So I was determined to find a way to play it on the flute. And I was able, since Debussy writes in parallel thirds, with an auto harmonizer pedal, you can create those parallel thirds instantly. And it makes the piece work really well. So um, I hope you enjoy Claire de Lune. You've
0: leaked some of that out on social media, and I can say it's absolutely beautiful.
1: Well, thank but you. But it's not
0: how you expect, is it? Because as you say, you've laid it exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not trying to imitate. I'm not no? trying to make an exact version of Debussy, and I would hope that if Debussy were here, he would appreciate the tone colors and the timbres that, that are... In my version, obviously not in his. What
0: I mean by that is it's not just a flute playing over the top of the piano. Right. You've layered it so that it's still the flute, mm-hmm. but you really know what you're playing. You know it's Claire right. de And it's very dreamy, isn't it?
1: I love Debussy. Well, with the delay pedal, you can create a sense of the tones sustaining, even when you're not sustaining them. So it gives an illusion that I'm overdubbing when, in fact, it's not which I think is really, really cool, and I want to write more pieces or arrange more pieces like that because it's amazing how you can use these effects pedals to recreate these standards.
0: Now, effects pedals, that, that tends to scare people, the thought of working with an effects pedal. Should they be scared?
1: Of course not. Are you serious? I have the most fun with it that I've ever had playing music, and that's why I'm still doing it after eight years, I think to grow, to feel that feeling of fear, that means that you're going to a place of growth. If it's something that you're interested in, even at all, I think it is worth exploring. It takes a little bit of effort to gather the equipment together, of course, but we already have all of our flute equipment, so we're used to getting more equipment. It's not that bad. And I think you would be just surprised to discover what is inside you, if you were to try one, and to see what comes out. It's, that's how I learned to improvise.
0: So where can people find Supersonic?
1: Supersonic, it's available on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, any digital music platform that you can find. If you'd like to get a hard copy CD, just get in touch with me. I have a limited supply of them, but they are out there.
0: It's certainly worth it just for this cover. And now I know the backstory. story. That's right. I love right. it even more. It's so romantic. So what's the future of Melissa?
1: Well, I, you know, I'm just so pleased that this is finally finished and out there, and it represents the past eight years of work for me. I'm going to have to take a little time to break and to reset. I'm not sure exactly the path that I'm going to take, but I'm definitely going to continue with exploring even more possibilities with this maybe try to sing some tunes we'll see as I was saying before about crossing genres Mm -hmm. I think it would be I'm very interested to explore maybe trying more pop music sound Mm -hmm. I'd love to get a band together with a a bass and a keyboard and a drum and actually have a band not just a solo act so to expand it a little bit
0: really you should have a a nickname of exploration melissa exploration keely because your life is just one exploration continuum isn't it
1: i i just love finding new things and i love learning new things i love going out and going to the edge and seeing what's there
0: melissa keely thank you very much for your time you've been so generous with it and thank you for coming back at this nfa after i caught you earlier uh just to talk a bit more about yourself
1: well thank you so much john paul i seriously enjoyed doing this with you
0: thank you and what a lovely lady melissa keeling is and i thank her once again for giving up her valuable time at what was an extremely busy flute convention for her and for those of you who are wondering what the white noise or hissing sound was it was and believe it or not a waterfall yep an indoor waterfall and a rather large one at that in a coffee shop there you go next week claire returns as usual with her talking flutes podcast so from myself jean paul and the rest of the talking flutes extra team may i wish you a great week ahead and i'll speak to you again soon goodbye Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit Trevor dot com